Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all from God our Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you noticed in our Easter season gospel readings that those who followed Jesus were not immediately clear on what happened on that first Easter morning, that they were not instantly filled with faith and joy. The disciples locked themselves in a room out of fear. The reports of the women that Jesus had been raised from the dead were dismissed as foolishness. Thomas did not accept the testimony of the other disciples. He wanted his own proof. For years, I thought, seriously, guys, how could you miss this? He was right in front of you. Weren't you listening? But now, their lack of understanding at the beginning is a bit of a relief. After all, don't we also have those times when the glory and the wonder of the resurrection seem far away, when we don't understand or see what the Lord is up to in our lives? We hear another gospel account like that today, one that begins with questions and confusion. Luke describes two followers of Jesus on that first Easter evening, walking home seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Cleopas is one, maybe they are two men, maybe it is Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, or the other one who is not named might be Luke's way of inviting us to put ourselves into that unnamed person place on our own road to Emmaus. Those two were deeply disappointed and saddened and shocked by the crucifixion of Jesus. They had heard some of the women's testimony that Jesus was alive, but they were astounded, and it must have seemed so hard to believe. While they were talking and discussing all that had happened, Jesus himself, alive after the cross, came near and went with them, but they didn't know it was Jesus because Luke says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He asked them what they were talking about. How could anyone not know what had happened to their Jesus? They poured out everything that had happened. And they said some of the saddest, most descriptive words in all of the scriptures, in all of life. They said, but we had hoped but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. How many times have we been in a position where we ourselves have said, with broken hearts, but we had hoped. But we had hoped for a cure. But we had hoped the marriage could be saved. But we had hoped the job would come through. But we had hoped for peace. But we had hoped for a future that is not to be, but we had hoped. Life can surely be wonderful and joyful, but broken hopes and disappointments and sorrows and frightening challenges are also part of this life. Since All Saints Day last year, our church has gathered for 14 funerals, and we have lost young and old in our community. That is a lot of sorrow. 
Now, by the end of the Gospel reading, those two grief-stricken followers had encountered the risen Jesus, were filled with joy and wonder, felt their hearts burning within them, and ran all the way back to Jerusalem to share the good news. And may the good Lord bring all of us to that joy, too. But often, life requires us to go through broken hearts and hopes along the way. And during those times, we, we lean into God and we take care of each other and we walk alongside each other. One summer about 20 years ago, I was taking some graduate courses at the School of Theology at St. John's in Collegeville. I met excellent new friends, including an Augustinian friar named Brother Philip, who is now a priest. Just to be clear, this Philip is not my husband, Philip, who is sometimes referred to by some of you as St. Philip the Husband. I don't know why. And I don't know why this happened that summer, but a depression or a deep melancholy came over me that lasted for a few weeks. And I know that many of you have suffered far worse and far longer but those few weeks seemed like an eternity to me. I had not experienced anything like it before, nor have I since. There was no reason for it that I could understand, but I had changed inside from a person who cared about every leaf that fell from the tree to someone who couldn't work up enthusiasm for anything at all. I did my classwork, I went through the motions, but I had no zeal, no joy, no prayer life, and I scarcely recognized myself in the mirror. If it happens again, I will get professional help. But at that time, I had something going for me. Every evening, Brother Philip took me for a long walk around the campus. I suppose we talked although I don't think I could have explained to him what was happening to me. And slowly, I came out of it. I don't know why I came out of it, except that a friend patiently walked with me every day. I suppose if I had been able to look really closely, I would have seen Jesus walking with us or walking with me through his servant, Brother Philip. But at that time, I was not seeing the Lord's nearness. Have you ever been through a difficult time when looking back, you see that the Lord was with you, but not at the time you were going through it? And wouldn't it be wonderful and good and strengthening if we could always see the Lord walking with us and working with us in our lives? Yet we so often miss it. Author and pastor Frederick Buechner shares what he believes about seeing and not seeing God in his book, Secrets in the Dark. For him, the most hopeful thing, the most important thing, is not actually that we see Jesus. He wrote this. I believe that although the two disciples did not recognize Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus recognized them. 
He saw them as if they were the only two people in the world. And I believe that the reason why the resurrection is more than just an extraordinary event that took place some 2,000 years ago and then was over and done with is that Jesus also sees each of us like that. In this dark world where you and I see so little because of our unrecognizing eyes, he whose eye is on the sparrow sees each one of us. And I believe that because he sees us, not even the darkness of death are we lost to God or lost to each other. I believe that whether we recognize him or not, or believe in him or not, or even know his name, again and again he comes and walks away with us along whatever road we are following. And I believe that through something that happens to us or something we see or somebody we know, whoever can guess how or where or how, Jesus does what he did at Emmaus, gives us the bread of life, offers us a new hope, a new vision of light that not even this dark world can overcome. Isn't that beautiful? Even when we don't see him, Jesus sees us and comes to us. Or, or sends someone to sit with you when you are hurting. Or sends a grieving person a casserole, maybe through you, to say, I see you, I know, I'm here for you. Or gives you a sunrise or an eagle soaring that says, take heart, I'm watching over you or sends a faithful friend to take you on a walk every evening for as long as it takes. Jesus sees each one of us. How is life for you this morning? Filled up with love or lonely for someone? Are you seeing God everywhere or are you wondering where in the world God is? Do you have high hopes or have your hopes been dashed? However you are doing at this moment, wherever you are on your own walk to Emmaus, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees you. I want to share a prayer with you that is based on today's gospel reading. It's on the back page of your worship folder in the right-hand column. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. I encourage you to take it home with you and pray it often whenever you are longing for the presence of Christ and for awareness of the presence of Christ. In closing, let's pray it together. Lord Jesus, stay with us. For the evening is at hand, and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts, and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of the bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. <clears throat>